Welcome to What's the Story, Pekin, a podcast where we share stories about what's happening in Pekin as told by their authors. These are the people who are at the center of many local events. They are in the know and here to share their story, their role in it, and the possibilities of things to come. I'm Gary Gillis, your host, and welcome to today's show. Well, today we have a special program. Uh, of course, you know, we're known as What's the Story, Pekin? And for weeks in anticipation of the holiday, I kept thinking, got to have something that speaks to the Christmas story. And uh, I was blessed to be at Rotary last week, and it just so happens uh, the program was one of our own that really talked about how Christmas traditions began. And right away, uh, I approached him right after Rotary and said, I hope this is not too short a notice. But I got to have you in my podcast next week. So I'm, I'm glad to welcome uh, Pastor Jim McClary of First United Methodist Church, who is a fellow Rotarian. And you notice I have often have uh, Rotarians on my podcasts because I know them well and know the reputation that they have, and it's well earned. And uh, so I, I wanted Jim to be here to talk a little bit and, and kind of uh, share with us some of the things uh, he educated us on about Christmas things that I thought the audience would find interesting. So, Jim, welcome, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. I'm honored to be asked. Uh, this is a subject I love to talk about. Great. And, you know, it was how many years ago it was we decided at Rotary we would like to have at least a program about Christmas at Christmas time. And um, I, I thank you for coming through. It was, it was great. And I know you did some research with this. And what was fascinating was uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of people think about the uh, – Christ-based story, uh, faith-based story around the holidays, and then you have that secular story with Santa Claus and those holiday traditions. And what you shared with us was the fact that they're very much related, that one yes. gave birth to the other and kind of vice versa. In some yes, way. and that's something that's often lost. We, I mean, most people know that it has to do with Christ and his birth, but we have all these Christmas traditions that also have their roots in faith, but a lot of people have the traditions not knowing where it comes from or why we right, do it. Right. So you started, I think, talking about uh, Santa Claus or St. Nick. Could you give us a, a kind of a, a brief background of <laughs> sure. what that on? Yes. Santa Claus over the years has become a very secular figure. And there are, there are Christian voices in the world who have pretty much kicked Santa out of the church. I'm not one of them. I think we need to reclaim Santa. He began as a religious figure because there was a person named Nick, Nicholas, excuse me, who was a priest in the church who later became a bishop. And this is how the whole legend got started. And most legends have a basis in truth. And so the legend goes that this Nicholas, who was a priest, was very concerned and, and had a heart for people who were without, who didn't have much. And there were three sisters who were from a very poor family. And in those days, if you didn't have a dowry, the, the bride's family didn't have a dowry, which is wealth to, to give to the groom and their family, then you were destined to a life of prostitution, which greatly bothered Nick, Nicholas. And so stealthily, he somehow got gold coins into the stockings of these three sisters. So they had a wedding dowry and were not, you know, they were saved from a, a bad life. And that's basically the, the entire way that the uh, stockings are hung by the chimney sure, with care right. tradition got started. Mm -hmm. Well, you also talked about how you know, Santa um, delivering from home to home, how that story really started, where it's 
uh, it's pardon the religious pun of Genesis really began. Uh, you could share that piece. Uh, you know, th- there are a lot of pieces of traditions from other places that kind of combined to give rise to that. And uh, the one I remember studying about was as far back as the uh, Norsemen, or excuse me, actually it was in Germany, and they uh, worshipped the god Odin, O-D-E-N, mm-hmm. and, uh, but they were afraid of Odin because he would do these nocturnal visits and somehow he knew who was good and who was bad. And that was uh, long before Jesus even came into the world. So uh, that morphed down through the centuries and kind of turned into uh, you know, the, the St. Nicholas uh, narrative. And that kind of combined. And now we have Santa Claus doing these nocturnal visits and knowing who's naughty and who's nice. Sure. That was something I wasn't aware of. And it was, it was cool to, to hear about that. You also talked about uh, decorating with uh, Christmas lights and where that got started. Yeah, so many people hang Christmas lights on trees, on their gutters, on the houses and the yards, and it's awesome and wonderful. I mean, people take trips to drive around town just to look at, look at the lights. But one of the things that's lost is people don't really remember or don't make a connection with what those lights signify. And it's two things that, that gave rise to the, the lights. One is Jesus is the light of the world. So since Christmas is all about Jesus, you're, you're making a proclamation with the lights that, hey, Jesus is the light of the world. And the other is that they signify the star that the wise men saw to lead them to the manger of Jesus. Uh, so that's, what, that's where Christmas lights came from in, in the beginning. And uh, very few people know that. We all yeah. put up lights, but yeah. don't tie it to that. Oh, interesting. Um, one thing then you, you posed to the, the group was the question of this time-honored tradition, what, did it have its roots in faith-based or in on the secular side? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there were a few that we were surprised by. So we'll, we'll share some of those. And one you talk about was leaving cookies and milk for Santa. Was it faith-based or was it secular? Yeah, that, that's one that just seems completely secular, but there is a strain of thought that, 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 that it is faith-based. And that goes as far back as, um, this is the one that has to do with the Norsemen or the Vikings. They would leave out treats for the reindeer um, just as a goodwill gesture. But somehow that morphed over centuries time. And in the 1930s here in America and during the Great Depression, it turned into uh, leaving cookies and milk for Santa as a gesture of thankfulness to God during a difficult time. Kind of like saying, you know, God, we don't have much, but what we have we're thankful for. And so we're going to leave this gift out for St. Nick, St. Nicholas. And it was just it was just a way of saying, thank you, God, you provide even in a difficult time. Sure. Well, that's uh, that was one I think pretty much everybody in the room got wrong. So I'm, I'm glad you enlightened us. What about sending Christmas cards? Yeah, you, you might think that that's completely faith-based, but the earliest Christmas cards, and I can't remember the date unless I have it here in front of me. Um, 1843. 1843 was, was when they no, traced the first card to, and it just said Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. There wasn't really anything uh, tied to faith in that, and that, that but uh, the sending a card at Christmas time kind of caught on until later on, I believe it was in the early 1900s, when the Hall brothers out of Kansas City actually designed a, a card that was folded with a matching uh, matching sized envelope and started marketing those. And th- those became the, the what's now a, well, 1.6 billion cards per year that are, uh, that are uh, sent all over the world. And Hall brothers became eventually Hallmark. 
And so that really isn't tied specifically to faith, but a lot of people think it probably was. Yeah, and it's a Kansas City company, and if anybody's been to Kansas City, you know, they know they have to go down to the Country Club Plaza where everything is, uh, the whole downtown is, is year-round. Um, you know, lit up by lights. You know, you see nowadays the the popular choice of a lot of folks with Christmas lights is now to kind of have the outline of their roof line or their home in lights. You go to Country Club Plaza in Kansas City, and every building's that way, and has been that way for I did not generations. Know that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's <laughs> a new giant. thing to be there uh, downtown and uh, and and see go to the Country Club Plaza and see all those buildings. It's it's pretty neat. Um, and at Christmas time, most pe- most people have Christmas wreaths out. Yes. And so, is that faith based or secular? Where that yeah, got started? that's the one. It was kind of a trick question. I said it's faith based, sort of, because actual wreaths go back to uh, Greek and Roman times uh, before Christ even, and they had their own s- uh, things they signified. But it kind of morphed into a faith based tradition with Christmas because uh, you know the song goes, um, "Deck the halls with boughs of holly." Well, boughs of holly is how they decorated wreaths back then, and holly actually has uh, the leaves of holly are very pointed and very sharp, prickly, and then there's little red berries. Uh, so those became a symbol of the crown of thorns that Christ wore and the uh, drops of blood uh, from that. Uh, so when you had a Christmas wreath, you you were basically proclaiming that the you know that you know the the Jesus narrative, the birth, the death, and the resurrection are all all one, and you was make it was a proclamation of the Christian faith. And the, the um, fact that the wreaths are in the shape of a circle, that's no accident either. A circle has long been a symbol of God's love, that, and the thought is there is no end to God's love. Sure. That was one that uh, I don't think many people, many people listening really, really knew. Uh, you also handed out uh, to the, the club uh, candy canes for <laughs> us, uh, and uh, I have to admit mine didn't even make it out of the building. <laughs> Uh, it was my my dessert. Well, they and didn't, snack they didn't all make it into yeah. the building either. Yeah. I have to admit yeah. that. Yeah, but uh, you you gave those out because um, it was part of your program and raised the question: Are candy canes secular or faith based? Yeah, and that one's a uh, few more people know that one than some of the other ones, but it uh, it is faith based. And a German candy maker, at least a couple hundred years ago, felt like the children weren't really getting the Christian message, and he wanted to come up with something a visual illustration that could tell the, the Christmas story, tell the story of Jesus. So we came up with the candy cane. And uh, there, there are quite a few aspects to it. The, the basic ones are it's in the shape of a J for Jesus, which is also the shape of a shepherd's staff because Jesus was the good shepherd. The whiteness is a reference to the purity of Jesus or the sinlessness. And the thick red stripe is a reference to his crucifixion that you know he uh, died to set us free. But there's also three thin red stripes on there that that are uh, that come from specifically from a verse in Isaiah which says by his stripes we are healed which we often quote during Lent and Easter season and um, so those there's uh, the candy cane has uh, Christian faith all over it mm-hmm. and uh, that's you know I just like I just think you know we need to tell our kids that we have exactly. all these candy canes yeah. and let them know where it's from it's perhaps the one item with the holidays that is uh, probably the most associated with Christmas and uh, yeah. that in the Christmas tree. I mm-hmm. think that's, it's uh, important to point out uh, where that got started. Uh, and, and finally, and this is really more of, I think, either a start of a new tradition or a contemporary tradition, but it's the ugly sweater issue, which I was surprised. <laughs> I couldn't think that that had any faith-based background, but you did share that story. 
Well, I, yeah, I don't think it does have a faith-based yeah, I, thing. I I, and so. somewhere it, it got started somewhere long ago somebody just wore an ugly sweater at a party or something they all decided hey let's do it again next year and who can have the ugliest sweater and it kind of grew and grew and then uh, the actual ugly sweater parties are traced back to canada in uh, roughly 2001 i think it was but it's not faith-based but boy that's a contemporary one that has gained a lot of steam and a lot of people have a lot of fun with it our club has a lot of fun with that one yeah yeah well i shouldn't say this but there are ugly sweaters that some Rotarians wear and that some Rotarians, uh, well, I, no, I won't comment on <laughs> how they make that sweater look, yeah. even if they were a nice one. Uh, but uh, uh, it's, it is a great new tradition and it has a lot of fun. And Rotary did have an, uh, an event uh, to where uh, there was an ugly sweater contest and there was, it was a fundraising event yeah. that went to a good cause. So it, it is a, a good thing. Um, and, and finally, uh, you know, Christmas is, and speaking of traditions, uh, one that, you know, most every family perhaps has their own. And I know you shared with us on a personal level yeah. your own story and the new tradition. And just if you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd love to because it means a, a, just an awful lot to my family and generations of my family. But first I want to say that when I was preparing for Christmas this year, I was in front of a couple of church groups and I asked the question, hey, tell me some of your faith, your unique family faith traditions, your Christmas traditions that, that have to do with your faith. And I'm kind of surprised that there weren't that many. A lot of mm. people do things like hang lights and some of the ones we've mentioned, sure. but they don't, they don't really tie it to the faith. And so they were kind of wide-eyed as well, which is, you know, I'm always happy to share and teach. So and my grandfather died in January of 1973. The following Christmas, what, 11 months later, we showed up at Grandma's house. And Grandma was a born teacher. She always was teaching and do, had uh, illustrations and physical things we would do that she was teaching with. And so we got there for the Christmas celebration. And there were candles all over the living room. Uh, we're like, what the heck is that? And after lunch, we all gathered in there. And Grandma told us, she goes, I have a basket here with everybody in the family. There's a slip of paper with their name on it. And we're going to pass the basket around. You draw names until they're gone. And when, whenever you want to, uh, you light a candle for the person whose name you drew and you say something about them. And for, of course, we're thinking, oh, what the heck is this about? But within about five minutes, we were wrapped. We were just like, oh, this is so cool. And um, I really enjoyed the experience. And toward the very end, my dad and my uncle, uh, all of a sudden, they were kind of bothered and they were whispering to each other. And they both jumped up and said, hey, we're not done we want to light a candle for dad who had died the previous January. And so these two men that are rugged, wonderful, powerful, strong, and yet loving men with tears streaming down their eyes, they talked about their dad, which would be my grandpa, and how much he meant to them and so forth, what he left to them. So the next year we came back for Christmas and there were no candles. And we're like, Grandma, where's the candles? She said, well, that's just something we did last year. And we're like, we want to do the candles again. So we did, and then every year after that, we did the candle ceremony. In-laws would uh, you know, marry into the family and they'd take part in it. I remember um, Kurt, who was almost a professional athlete, strong, strong young man, uh, not even much of a faith-based person, uh, jumped up one year and said, I, and didn't have a slip of paper with the name on it. He said, I wanna light a candle for my friend Dave because his wife has cancer. And he told us about that situation, asked us to pray for him and so forth. And, um, so this year, this Christmas, within a few days, when my family does it again, it'll be the, it'll be the 50th year for that wow. candle celebration. Uh, not only that, but um, now as the generations grow up and you know, separate and don't get together at Grandma's house anymore, uh, Uncle John's family, 
and my family uh, in separate Christmas traditions, Christmas celebrations, found out a couple years later that we were each doing the, the candle ceremony. And now the kids, which about my generation, at least four out of the six of us do it every year with our kids. Great. So and it's very, very meaningful. Yeah, and I, I would hope that this would make others, listeners, mindful of you know the things that they either do and want to carry on and continue yeah. or perhaps uh, want to consider starting one. And when you shared that, it made me think of gee, do I have, does our family have something like that? And it's not as deeply rooted as yours is. And I think because of that, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, it's not going to be overlooked one year or forgotten because it was busy time and that. I thought of my, it made me think of uh, my mom after she passed. Um, uh, She used to always, they'd come visit my mom and dad, and uh, they're now both passed, but uh, my mom always wanted on Christmas Eve before we went to church. It would be usually late afternoon. She wanted Kentucky Fried Chicken, about <laughs> the only time of the year we would go there. But that was my task, and my, my mom was always one. And and I, I think she, I will maybe be visiting my sleep tonight, but for saying yeah. this, but um, she always certain titles she sometimes got goofed up. Um, she knows my son would like to go to to um, Bass Pro, but she always called it Pro Bass. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then, so Kentucky Fried Chicken was, I want to have the K- Kentucky Colonel. And so it was always Kentucky Colonel. Kentucky well, Colonel. after she passed, and my daughter was the one that said, well, what do we want to do for Christmas Eve? Well, Dad, we got to go to Kentucky Colonel. Yeah. Well, we did that for a number of years, and when you shared that last week, I realized we hadn't done that. And, and now my, you know, my kids have their own families, but my, if nothing else, I think my wife and I will patronize the Kentucky Colonel. You know what, that's, Christmas that's Eve. an awesome example, uh, but in my, in my opinion, it's important to always point back to and teach the younger generations why, where'd that yeah. come from, why we do yeah. that, you know, you're honoring your mom, that kind yeah. of thing. And that's what we do, every, every year we do the Christmas uh, candlelight ceremony, we tell the story sure. about dad and Uncle John jumping up and lighting the candle for dad, and, uh, and this year will be our uh, first year without my father yeah. you know what we got a candle already ready go. good to for, go for dad. good for yeah. you yeah i you talk about those big strong men who yeah. tears streaming on their face mm-hmm. uh not that i'm a big strong man but the tears <laughs> would probably yeah. probably flow in in, in talking I, with the, them but with the passage of time it does get easier those, so. those kinds of things I, I, and I, I just fear that with families however they're formed we tend to do things without tying it to the roots right and the roots are what give it substance and power and actually the bonds grow closer and deeper and stronger if you do those kind of things right. i think a lot of families are going through the motions or doing it on the outside and forgotten the the history the legacy which is so important yeah i i talked to a couple of people just yesterday and you know you always ask what do you have planned for the holidays and uh, we're fortunate that uh, you know our christmas journey will be across town uh, but I talked to a couple of people that would be visiting family hours away, and it was pretty much, you know, it's Christmas. It's about family. Yeah. I don't care about the weather. I'm going to get there. Yeah. Whether I have to go early or a little bit after, it's important they gather. Amen. So to have those traditions and, and, and honor family and uh, those roots is important, and I, I, I'm glad you brought that to share with us. Yeah, I got one more quick thing sure. about the candlelighting ceremony. Uh, my family, we, we grew up in our home with uh, always extra people at holiday times. We lived right across the street from a boys' school, and so mom and dad would call over there at a holiday and they'd say, hey, if you got any boys that have nowhere to go, send them over. So we grew, and they'd send, come over for you know a few days, so there was always Christmas presents for them or whatever. 
And um, so we still have contact with one of those, actually two today. I mean, one of them has, uh, he inherited or saw that Christmas candle ceremony. He did it with his family too. Great. So, you know, that's, that's pretty yeah. amazing how that spreads. That's a great story. Well, Jim, thank you for, for taking the time to be here, especially at short me. notice. Uh, thanks for sharing that story. I think it, uh, yeah. people, I hope, are uh, a little more aware of where Christian and, and Christmas traditions uh, got yeah. started. Uh, and our, especially your closing story about you know family traditions. Yeah. If nothing else, well, you now know, know more about the Christian or the Christmas story. Excuse me, that uh, you're mindful of the importance of starting your own family traditions. And yep. I would encourage everyone listening to be mindful of that and consider creating their own. So I want to wish all of our listeners happy holidays. Uh, I want to thank. The Pekin Library, as always, for providing the space in the passport room, and uh, Mike Eaton for always coming through and being here to set up a, a perfect sound studio on short notice and setting that up in a minute or two. So, Mike, thank you, and again, happy holidays to all, and, and please share your thoughts and your ideas uh, for future podcasts with us by sending an email to uh, pekinpodcast at gmail.com. Happy yep. holidays. Amen. Thanks for having me.